Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you've got your Bibles, let's open up to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, bless our time this morning in your word all day together. Fill us full of the Holy Spirit to listen well, to hear well. Lord, I pray that you would personalize your word to each of us where we need to be encouraged, encourage us. Where we need to be lifted up, lift us up. Where we need to be humbled, humble us. Lord, speak to us, convict us. Make us more and more into the Spirit-filled leaders and labors, ministers you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Psalm chapter 127, and I call this workaholics warning, okay? Um, But let me say this as we dive into this. There's a danger on one side of being a workaholic, working too much. I'm going to talk about that. But there's also a, a dangerous ditch on the other side to be a restaholic. You can rest too much. We don't do either one, okay? But I think this psalm is a very healthy balance. There are only two psalms in the Bible that we know of for sure that are written by Solomon. This is one of them. And so, think about it. We, we all want to work as unto the Lord. We all want to have work that's fruitful, that not only pleases Him, but is effective in ways that honor Him. And this psalm gives us a lot of insight, I think, in how to do that. So, let's just look at the first verse. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So here's the idea. You can do the Lord's work the Lord's way, or you can do the Lord's work in a vain way. And what kind of work do you do? I mean, what it's saying is, I mean, you have two different kind of occupations in view in verse 1. Building a house, but that, that could be a metaphor for like building the temple. Solomon was famous for doing that. Sometimes we talk about I'm building my house, my family, like a dynasty or something like that. So really, this this applies to anything. But think about just a builder, construction worker, building a house physically, or then a watchman watching out over a city, which sometimes, you know, in the Old Testament, prophets were considered like watchmen, supposed to warn the city when the troops were coming. So the work's the same, but what it's saying is there's a right way to do it. There's a way that's dependent on the Lord, a way that's pleasing the Lord, but then there's a vain way to do it. There's a fruitless way to do it. And we don't want to do that one. I mean, how many of you have ever heard a story, whether it's in campus outreach or another ministry, of a campus that had a great semester, maybe 10 people come to Christ, something great like that, or 50 people go to New Year's conference, but you hang around long enough, and like five years later, it's like, hey, what happened to those 50 people that all went to New Year's conference? And it's like, yeah, I think maybe one or two of them are still walking with Christ. You ever heard a story like that? I have. Okay? I'm just telling you. Anybody want that kind of ministry? The flash in the pan? It was a great newsletter for that one semester. It was a great support raising trip afterwards, right? I had plenty of good stories to tell. I got a promotion out of it, man. Denny thought I was great. I got promoted. It was so great. But then five years later, I'm like, what was the real spiritual results? And it's like, not that good. Nobody wants that kind of ministry. If you're thinking straight. Think about in John chapter 15. Let's just flip there for a second. Keep your finger here. Psalm 127, but flip over really quickly to John chapter 15. It's about abiding in Christ. It's about bearing fruit. But look at John 15. 
Just a couple of verses. Look at verse 5 first. I am the vine, you the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. She's so like, great, I want to do that. I want to bear much fruit. But it's about abiding in Christ. If I try to do it on my own, I'm not going to bear fruit. And then flip to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Or another translation would say, remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We want fruit that actually remains. It works. Okay? Um, so, vain work or the Lord's work? Work that lasts or work that doesn't work. That's what we're after. But here's the problem. How, how do you know? How do you know the difference in the middle of it? Look at verse 2. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So the difference here is there's a restless kind of work, and then there's a restful kind of work. There's one kind of work that comes from a restful posture, and there's another kind of work that comes out of just pure restlessness. Now, is this saying that it's wrong to stay up late at night? No. We know that Jesus had times where he literally stayed up all night. Good enough for Jesus, good enough for me, right? Anytime you know, somebody's like, you should never be staying up all night, that's ridiculous. Like, well, Jesus did it at least a couple of times, so it can't be all bad. On the other side, if you have people like, you, you should never take a nap. Lazy people take naps. Like, pretty sure Jesus took a nap one time. Right? That's just like the ultimate trump card. You know, if they can give their principle and you can trump it with Jesus, you win. So what is this is saying? Th- th- guys, this is saying don't burn the candle at both ends consistently. If you're waking up super early and staying up really late all the time, every once in a while in campus ministry, you might have to put in an 18-hour day. And that's not necessarily sinful. But you can't do that for the long haul. Right? You can't run New Year's conference pace for a month. You can do it one week a year. You can't do it for a whole month. Is your life filled with anxiety? Look again at verse 2, right? Eating the bread of anxious toil. Are you restless? Are you worried? God wants us to do work, yes, but work with an unworried reliance. I'm faithful. I'm hardworking. And guys, anxiety, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. It's like a dashboard warning light. Something is wrong in your heart. But you're too depending on your own efforts, your own energy, your own plans, your own strategy, and not depending enough on the Holy Spirit to show up and bless the work of your hands. Now, flip to Luke chapter 10 again. I told you I love this passage. We're going to do a little quick compare and contrast, but maybe not exactly what you think. Okay, Luke chapter 10. And while you're flipping there, I'm going to give you an illustration that's a little bit of a weird illustration, but I've used it before, and it seems to resonate with people. Imagine if there was like a pond somewhere outside and we took a break at lunch to go outside, soak in some of the sunshine, and we see a little duck swimming across the pond as fast as it can. Above the water, what is that duck going to look like it's doing effort-wise? Nothing, right? It's just gliding. I mean, it just looks like, that's amazing. But if we could put on some mask or some goggles and go underneath the water and look at the bottom half of that duck, what are we going to see is happening to its little webbed feet? Working as hard as it can, just paddling away, right? A Christian, a mature Christian, ought to be an inverted duck. You understand what I mean? If I can look at that person, it's like, that dude is working hard. She is a laborer. 
This guy's sweating. That girl gets after it. They're working hard as unto the Lord. But then if we could have spiritual x-ray vision and look into their heart, peace, calm, serenity, relaxed, chill. Right? Because I'm doing my part, but my part is the minor part. God's got the heavy load. Some of us did an Iron Tribe workout, you know, and the, the, you know, that's where I work out in Birmingham. And every once in a while, this doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, you know, there's like a guy that used to be in Birmingham for something, and he went and played in the NFL or something. He'll come back in town and want to work out, you know. And so just imagine if I was doing one of these partner workouts with a guy from the NFL. Okay? And this may or may not be a hypothetical example, you know. And it's like we got to run and carry something heavy, you know, like grab the 70-pound kettlebell. And what if to me, to the NFL guys, like, I got it, man. If anybody has half a brain, they're going to be like, Olin, you're an idiot. You can't, you can't run fast, you know, when you're carrying nothing. You got a guy that plays in the league. Let him carry the 70-pound kettlebell, and you just try to keep up. God is the NFL player in ministry. He will carry the heavy burden. I just need to just kind of run beside him. I'm just happy to be here, right? My dad took me to work with him. Did, did anybody ever actually have that experience as a child, like go to work with your parent, okay? Just think back on that. What did you actually do to move the business forward that day? Right? Probably nothing. Get me some coffee, honey, and try not to spill it. Hey, you can throw these papers away. Can I use the shredding machine? No, you can't even do that. Just put them in the trash can. Just think about that. I mean, maybe you contributed 1% that day, but your mom or your dad was doing 99% of the real work, right? It's a good picture for what it's like working with the Lord. So let's go back to this Martha and Mary little story. Luke chapter 10, skip all the way down, 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Excuse me, to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. The first thing you'll notice, if, if you're doing work in an independent way rather than in a dependent way, you'll be distracted. You, you will have a hard time figuring out right priorities. You will find yourself skipping your time alone with the Lord to show up for the Bible study. You'll, you'll be the guy that comes home and you're trying to be a good husband, but you're really on your phone under the dinner table like, uh-huh, oh, that sounds great, honey, what'd you say? Because you're still trying to schedule stuff for the campus meeting because you didn't get it done when you should have. You'll be the guy that maybe is spending good time with the kids, doing all the sports stuff, right, but not getting your wife on date night, whatever it is. Your priorities will be out of whack. You'll be distracted. Okay? Because partially, what are you trying to do? You're trying to, guys... In some sense, let me just skip to the bottom line. How do you know when somebody's doing this? When, when they're not just concerned to, hey, I want to be faithful. That's a good concern. You should want to be faithful. God, what's my duties? And I want to be faithful. But when you're like, no, no, no. I want to control the results. I want to control the outcomes. That's so, why some, do we work, overwork sometimes? We are trying to micromanage God and the results. I want to guarantee this outcome. You can't guarantee this outcome can't guarantee anything your job is to be faithful show up and then ask the lord to bless him if you become demanding in your prayer life i'm all for bold prayer but look at the way she 
prays. I mean, she's telling Jesus what to do. Tell her then to help me. That's across the line. Again, she's demanding God. It's, it's not enough that I'm being faithful. I'm demanding that you do it exactly my way, my timetable, God. And I'm not happy if you don't. And here's kind of a little side note. If other people around you, your family members, your teammates, if they feel like they feel some pressure from you to bow down to your idols too, well, I put in 18-hour days. You should too. Not good. Not good. I heard some, a story recently about somebody, and they're like, dude, this guy can work at this pace. And he's just gifted to do it. He's not overworking. He just has a motor that can run that. And some people, listen, some people can do that, right? But what the guy said, he said, you know what? But his teammate never feels pressure that they have to be just like him. That's healthy. That's healthy. But if somebody's like, I got a motor, and they may never say it, right? But the subconscious thing is, you better have a freaking motor too. And if you can't keep up, you ain't working on my team. That's not healthy. Run at your own pace. But, but if I'm trusting in the Lord, I won't be trying to pressure other people. Why? Because I'm like, I'm trusting the Lord with results, not my team. Now let me just give the flip side to that. Because there are some people that are kind of the restaholic. And they're like, you stayed up past 11 p.m. last night? I think you may have some legalism or you know, overdriven or uh, you're just, you're, you're working too hard. It's like, don't, don't judge everybody else exactly by your own personal gifting capacity and standards. Either way, does that make sense? Okay. So, she's distracted, she's demanding, and then look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She's down. If you just find yourself regularly down, regularly troubled. Now, now Paul said, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, right? I mean, there's hardship in this world. There's sadness in this world. If you're, if you're, if you're never like sad, you're like, everything's great. It's like, turn on the news. No, it's not. And we need to weep with those that weep. But, but if you're like, I got the sorrow part, but I don't have any joy. It's not, it's not biblical. It's not Christian. And again, it's probably because you're trying to micromanage the results. You're anxious. You're neglecting the one thing necessary. So, all right, back to Psalm 127. Back to Psalm 127. And here's the question I want us to think about. Are you working for hire or are you working from an inheritance? Are you working like the kid that goes to work with dad? Or are you working like just an employee? And really, in Old Testament terms, it'd be like, are you working like a slave? Are you working like a slave that can get kicked out if you don't do a good enough job? Or are you working like a son that's already in and you already got an inheritance guaranteed? Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. It's a heritage. Some of us in this room probably have families that aren't filthy rich, but they got enough money. And when they die, there's going to be something left over, and we get it, right? And it's not like we're in the will because you've been such a great son. I've been waiting. I've been watching. And by year 30, you finally proved yourself. You're in the inheritance, son, right? I mean, you might have a wicked parent like that. But most of us probably have a parent, you know, that says, if I got any extra money, I love you. You're going to get some just because you're my kid. You got the same last name. 
One time when we were trying, my wife and I were trying to mentor, disciple, slash rebuke one of our teenage sons. And he's like, you know, but all my friends do this. And and he's like, we don't care about all your friends at some level. I mean, we kind of care, but not really. We care about you. He's like, why do you care so much? Like, because you're our son. And he literally said, you're telling me you care so much just because I came out of mom's belly? It's like, yeah, basically. I mean, that's a crass way to put it, but yeah. You know? And then he's like, ah, and he just walked out. You know? But now he would look back and say, I'm glad. I'm glad you guys cared so much. I'm glad y'all were all over me about stuff like that, right? How do you think about your relationship with the Lord? More like a slave, more like a son. We all know the right answer. I don't care if you know the right answer up here. At some level, I almost don't care. I care about the functional feelings of your heart. When you go to spend time alone with the Lord, do you feel more like a soldier reporting for duty? Which is not wrong. That, that illustration works biblically. But it's not the dominant theme. The dominant theme is an adopted son reporting to daddy. Spending time with his daddy in the morning. And yes, you could say an adopted daughter too. But New Testament language, it's better to say we're all adopted sons. The men and the women, right? Because sons got inheritances. And women didn't in the Greco-Roman world, but we all do in Christ. It's glorious. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God, His glory, His honor? I just want to be on your team, Dad. I trust your love. I trust your promises. I'm just happy to be here. There was a guy, this is so long ago, there's no chance and you know this guy. You won't even know the region I'm talking about. There was a region in CO that was struggling. I mean, it was like the worst of the worst regions doesn't exist any longer, okay? And I promise, none of you know which region I'm talking about. So I'm talking about, no, not, okay? But there was a guy that was working there, and as that region was going downhill, we brought him out of that region, and we brought him into Camp Starks, Birmingham, and he was on Beach Project, and it was like, we'd ask him to do stuff. It's like, hey, we need somebody to clean the toilets. He's like, I'll clean the toilets. I mean, it's really, he's like, and he's like, dude, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just so happy y'all invited me to y'all's Beach Project this summer. That ought to be the Christian attitude, guys. I'm just happy to be on Team Jesus. I got voted in. It's crazy. Was there a mistake? Right. I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to serve. I'm happy to work. I'm happy to work hard. But I don't feel the pressure to work because I'm already in. I have an inheritance. I'm not ultimately in charge of the results. The secret to part of this is I've got to believe basement of my heart, God is going to give me the best results in the best way and the best timing. That's Romans 8.28. And when you're struggling with some of this, you just meditate on Romans 8.28 until it sinks down to that specific thing. Yes, I'm going to recruit. Yes, I'm going to pray. Yes, I'm going to fast. Yes, I'm going to talk. Yes, I'm going to try to persuade. But then there ought to be a sense of I go home at night and I sleep like a baby. Because it's like it's not up to me. Did my part, I was faithful and perfect. Now, what do you do if you're not seeing the results you want? Um, it's easy to give all the credit to God when the ministry's going great, right? Or when the ministry's going bad. You're like, I feel like I'm being faithful, but. So if Martha was our bad example, who do you think I might give for the good example? Mary. Could do Mary, but I'm going to do one, even one up you, okay? Jesus. 
right? So I want us just to think about Jesus, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. When in a sense, it's like the ministry's not going well. He wasn't distracted. He was devoted, right? He knew why he was there. He wasn't going to back off, right? Peter had tried to distract him. Satan had tried to distract him. He's like, no, no, I don't like this. It's not going the way I want, but I'm all in. I'm devoted. I am, I am serving God. He's praying. He's wrestling. And, and he was in control. I mean, even when, like, Peter pulls out the sword, and I'm going to fight for you, he's like, no, no, no. This is what i got to do. I'm willing to do it. I'm focused. Okay? He wasn't demanding in his prayer. I mean, you want to say, well, how do you be bold in prayer but not be demanding? Look at the prayer of the Lord Jesus in the garden. Here's what I want. Here's what I'm begging for. Here's what I'm pleading for. If there's any other way, yet not my will but none. You don't have to always say those words, but that attitude better always be in your heart. God, I want 50 people from my campus to go to New Year's conference. Please, please, I'll do anything. What do I got to do? Yet not my will but thine. Can you pray that way and really mean it? What if we have another year with just, you know, under 20? What if we don't even get double digits? Not my will but thine. I don't want that. I really... Please, I wanted to show on the record. I don't want that. But not my will done. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to work. But I can't change people's hearts. Only you can, God. Only you can move people. Trusting, being bold, but staying surrendered. If you want to get really practical in everything we're talking about right now, you're like, this is all good in theory. But exactly practically, how do I go do this on the campus? Practically speaking, it's almost all about your prayer life. Because if you, can, if you can be wrestling in prayer like this, yes in the morning, yes at night, when you're struggling with worry, you're trying to fall asleep. But even in the middle of the conversation, right? God, give me the words to say, but help me not to press too much. And, but help me not to be a coward. And Just the life of prayer, walking in dependence, abiding in Christ at that level. And then third, he wasn't down... He was delighting. Now, this might be the one place where you're like, no, wait a second, wait a second. That might have worked most of the rest of Jesus' life. But the Garden of Gethsemane, he sure seemed down. Right? Let me go look. Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. And if you don't want to look, you don't have to. You'll, You'll, I think, recognize this verse. Matthew 26, 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And some of the best commentators would say what was happening is Father God was already starting to remove a sense of his presence as the cross approached. Jesus is already feeling that. So more than ever, he's like, I need my friends to stay awake and pray with me. And I, I feel overwhelmed to the point of death. I mean, to whatever degree you can be depressed, despairing, concerned, like towing the line with sinful worry but not slipping into it, he was there, right, in his humanity. Two things. He was troubled because he was about to literally face hell for us, for his people. So the sense will say, because of what he did, I'll never have to face that. I should never feel as broken down as he did in that moment because I may have to face some hardships. I'll never have to face hell because of the cross. But then secondly, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. 
And y'all know this one too. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's the joy of anticipation. So even in our worst moments, when maybe there's terrible, painful, shameful stuff happening in our family of origin that's emotionally overwhelming, and we do feel like our ministry is falling apart, we do feel like the deck is stacked against us. Maybe there's tension on our staff. When, when it's like everything that could go wrong feels like it's going wrong, there ought to still be the joy of anticipation. Right? It's like, you know what, Lord? Even if the next 50 years are really hard and it doesn't get better. You know, there's a lot of people saying the golden age of campus ministry is over. Now, I don't believe that. Right, um, but, but what if it is? I mean, what what if it's just like colleges start shutting down, colleges start kicking us off campus? Right? I mean, that could happen. Very well, could happen. And the next fifty years, it's just a grind. It's just a painful grind. It's like we're eking out results. How are we gonna be joyful in the middle of that? The joy of heaven. I mean, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine! There, there, he went to prepare a place for us. He's cooking a big feast that we're going to get to eat and enjoy for all eternity. And there ought to be a sense like, I can smell it. I can, I can smell it. I can taste it when I read the Word. And it's so real and it's so sweet, I can go back out and I can grind even when it's hard and the results are not what I want. And I can trust Him. And it's powerful. Because listen, it's, our, it's a paid for and full gift. And I'm an adopted son and it's an inheritance. I don't have to work to earn it. Let me try to end and make this super practical. Okay? The rest of this psalm, Psalm 127, it, it does seem like Solomon is primarily thinking about building a dynasty, build, building a family. Because it starts out as like talking about building a house, right? Watching over a city. But then look at how it ends. It's talking about a family. That's what most of the psalm's about. Psalm 127, 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills the quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And just think real practical with me here for a second, guys. There's something that a man and a woman have to do to get pregnant and have children, right? Yes. But we also know if the Lord doesn't bless the womb, nothing's going to happen. And I bet most of us know plenty of stories about people It's like, they didn't want to get pregnant. They weren't trying to get pregnant. They were doing everything to try to not get pregnant, and they still got pregnant. And then there's other people like trying for years and doing all the fertility stuff and paying all the money. It's like, do we still need to play our part? Yes. But if the Lord doesn't bless, it's not going to happen. I end with this illustration because I do think that's a great picture of ministry. Enjoy the journey, guys. It's supposed to be fun. Not all the time. But some of the times. Like, go out, be faithful, do your part. And, and see it as a blessing. This is what the Lord wants me to do. And I'm going to work with Dad, and it's fun. But can I change people's hearts? Can I save people? But he can. And he's on my team. And listen, everybody that he wants to get saved, right? Is it John chapter 6, verse 37? All that the Father has given to me will come. And I won't lose one. 
So all the elect on your campus, God's going to get them. He might get them tomorrow. <laughs> he might not get them for 80 years. And like, it's like, if I had a choice, I'd rather him get them tomorrow and then go to Beach Project. That'd be cool rather than wait until they're 100. I agree. Pray for that. But again, think about it in heaven. When you're standing there with the guy or the girl that you shared your faith with till you're blue in the face and they rejected you and they never came, they didn't come to any of your events, but they got saved on their deathbed when they're 100 and they're standing there worshiping Jesus. You know, when you take a breather for just a second, they're like, hey man, thanks dude. Thanks for sharing the gospel with me like 78 times back in college when I ignored you every time. God finally used that little tiny seed when I was in the old folks' home. And I'm thankful. What do you think you're going to feel in your heart in that moment? Just joy, happiness, gladness. But it's not going to be pride, right? It's not going to be, you're right, man. I did that, you know. Why don't we stop this worship service and let everybody turn around and start focusing on me, right? Just hear this story, right? It's just going to be like, praise Jesus. You're probably going to say something. I really hated you, to be honest. I was trying, but I got so sick of you, man. But God still used even my half-hearted efforts. So just praise Jesus. And guys, you just need to be doing that in your own brain, in meditation, when you go back to campus late at night. You know, like, I kind of like being home, watching TV, reading a book, playing with my kids, but I'm going back to campus because I'm thinking about the feast that's coming and I get to share in it. Whether I have a good day, good week, good month, good semester or not, I get to share in it because of the cross of Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for the foretaste of glory divine. Please fill our hearts with joy. Please fill our hearts with restful work. Not anxiety, not distraction, not being down, but just... May we live and minister out of the overflow of our worship and joy because of what you have already done and secured for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.